Welcome to the Broker Growth Accelerator, where we discuss how real estate brokers can accelerate their growth by improving their agent recruiting and retention. I'm your host, Jim Turner, and today we'll discuss growth tactics with our special guest, who is a subject matter expert in the industry. Let's get started. Hi, my name is Jim Turner, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of BrokerKit, and I'm going to be your host today. Today on the show, we're excited to have Drew Peterson, who runs a real estate recruiting appointment firm called Peterson Real Estate Solutions, who's joined us to talk about his experience, both recruiting agents and coaching recruiters and agents. So, Drew, welcome to the Broker Growth Accelerator podcast. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate you having me. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so maybe let, let me just start out with, you know, a, a few questions around your background. So how long have you been in the business and how did you get into real estate recruiting? You know, that's uh, that's an interesting story. The first job I took out of college, University of Florida, I went to work for AccuView contact lenses and it took me all of about six months to realize that I was not a corporate guy. So I took the first job anyone offered me, which coincidentally happened to be a Remax franchise in Orlando. And my initial job there was recruiting. I ended up taking on some additional responsibilities in terms of management. That was back in 2005. 2006, I transferred into selling real estate, which I did for seven years till 2013. And then that's actually when I got into the coaching consulting side of the business. And I've been doing that ever since. The uh, the calls program, the appointment setting program that you specifically mentioned, we actually been doing them for just over six years. I've pretty much been in real estate my entire adult life. Awesome. Okay, so on this podcast, we really try to focus on kind of the talent funnel for real estate, you know, broker owners, managing brokers, um, how to kind of find land and kind of retain and um, help their real estate agents be successful. So let's maybe start at the top of the funnel. And you bring a unique perspective having worked with, you know, kind of recruiting agents, but also recruiters who recruit agents. So I'll maybe ask you questions kind of on both. And let's just start out with, you know, kind of top of the funnel. So starting with agents, like, you know, for you within your firm, but also from your experience in real estate, what do you think the best sources of recruiting leads are? The number one source I always tell people is referrals from your existing agents. And if you aren't already asking for those, you'll want to start. Uh, Back when I was coaching, I would recommend asking uh, your existing agents no less than every three months. And anytime you can do it in person is best. And then you certainly also want to have some sort of system, formalized system around cooperating agents. So when an agent from your office does a deal with an agent from another office, it can be on a closing form. It can be something that uh, your compliance officer does or administrator, but someone ought to reach out to your agent and say, how is that transaction? Do you feel like this person would be a good fit for the company? So that's number one without question is referrals from existing agents. Number two uh, is going to be cold calling, just picking up the phone, or it can be warm calling as well. But picking up the phone is really the best way to generate recruiting appointments. I see a lot of brokers rely way too heavily on things like social media or email. Those are simply not as effective as just picking up the phone. So that's what I would say second is um, starting with agents you know, have a relationship with. Certainly, um, we mentioned the referrals and cooperating agents. You're still going to want to, when you receive those, you still want to pick up the phone and call those people. So that's really the second thing I'd say is picking up the phone. And then after that, it's nice to have things running in the background when you are doing proactive recruiting. So it's helpful to have an email newsletter that goes out, not just one that promotes the company, but one that provides some type of value to the agents. 
Uh, you can certainly do direct mail. I know there's a lot of people who are proponents of uh, doing uh, handwritten notes and things like that. You can contact agents, you know, set up a search for them in the MLS. And when they sell something, you can handwrite them a note. You can send them a, a direct message through social media. My favorite platform for recruiting specifically is LinkedIn. Uh, Facebook can, is more of a personal thing. And so agents tend to be a bit more hesitant about accepting friend requests from people they might not know in the business. But in LinkedIn, it's more common that you would accept something. Uh, from somebody. And it's also a less busy platform. It's easier to reach people through LinkedIn a lot of times and to get noticed than it is through Facebook. They might get 30 or 40 comments on a Facebook post. If they post the same thing on LinkedIn, they might get two or three at most. So that's my favorite uh, platform for recruiting. I know several recruiters who live just within LinkedIn and do very well. Uh, so you can certainly do that as well. But number one is referrals. Number two is picking up the phone. Great. Totally agree. And by the way, for those interested, we built a platform to automate that with BrokerKit, um, yep. kind of all the things that you've mentioned. So um, that aligns really well with our strategy. So, okay, so you, you have the leads. So what do you recommend in terms of outreach strategy, in terms of kind of cadences, how many touches, what are the mediums, right? You know, those are different ways to kind of find those leads. How do you get them to the next step of you know, initiating a conversation, getting them to some kind of um, discussion or appointment. That's where we advise people to come up with a hook. Um, and a hook is just what you're going to say to get someone interested, to get someone to listen to you. Whether it's it's individual recruiters or other companies, we see a lot of times people will approach that conversation without a hook. So they're searching for that hook. They're trying to ask questions of the agent. What do you like about your current brokerage? What do you not like about it? And to me, that's that's the wrong approach because they didn't ask you to call them. In, by and large, they didn't ask you to call them. This is a cold outreach and it still might be somewhat of a warm outreach if it's a referral, but you want to come from the place of, here's what we can do for you. Are you interested? You don't want to go out there and start trying to hunt for things that you might be able to use. It wastes the agent's time. You're likely to um, irritate them because they don't want to spend a bunch of time answering your questions. So we advise coming up with a hook, whether that's, you know, we can help you earn X number of more dollars this year. Um, what if we offered you 100%? What if we gave you a steady stream of motivated buyer and seller leads? There's any number of ways that you can approach it. But that's what we recommend is start with a hook. And then if the agent's interested, then you can start asking some questions. Then you can start digging a little deeper because they've given you permission to do that by saying, well, that sounds interesting. What else can you do for me? Now you've got them engaged in a conversation. And that's where you can start asking some of those questions. You can present things like uh, saying, for example, it's a no obligation meeting, doesn't hurt to hurt to hear what offers might be available to you, that type of thing. So there are any number of approaches you can take, but we always suggest starting with a hook, something that just snaps them to attention and forces them into a, a, a decision for themselves. It's a yes or a no. It's, am I interested in hearing more? Am I not? And for us, we're not hard salespeople. So if somebody gives us a no, they say, I'm good. We might make another attempt on that. But what we're really looking for are the people who kind of sit up and say, hmm, all right, tell me more. And those are the people we really want to try to convert because ultimately, when you're sitting down with someone, if we as a, as a recruiting company or as a recruiter, if it takes 15, 20 minutes on a phone call to get an appointment, the odds of converting that into a hire are pretty low. So what we're looking for are the people who are already predisposed to say yes, and that's where we want to live. That's where we want to focus. So that's what we advise people on that approach is come up with something, a one-liner, maybe a two-liner at most that you can say, if we can do X, Y, Z for you, 
are you interested? And that's the approach you want to take. And then from there, it's the sales skills. It's understanding questions. It's understanding interest. And it's understanding also when you get a yes, stop. When you get that yes, great. That's the appointment. Don't try to sell them on joining in the phone call. It's not going to happen. Once you get the yes for the appointment, great. Book the time. You're on to your next phone call. Okay. So you got the appointment. How do you approach that? Like, um, what, how do you prepare for that call? And um, how would you run that, that uh, recruiting appointment that you, you just um, got from that kind of outbound call? The one thing I think most people overlook is doing pre-appointment research. And I'm not just talking about production and trends. I'm talking about looking at their listings. Are they professionally marketed? Are there photos on them? Do they have a complete description of everything that's on the property? Uh, even what's the commission percentage that they are offering? How long's that property been on the market? Look into their expires, withdrawns. How successful are they at selling their listings when they get those listings? Are they primarily a buyer's agent or a seller's agent, or is it an even mix? Uh, what geographies do they work in? And then I also like to take a look at social media pages. How do they market themselves? How active are they on social media? Are they not at all? Which is okay. It just tells you something about where they get their business. If they're not posting a lot on social media, it's probable then that they're getting things from their sphere in some other ways. Uh, they could be doing geographic marketing. They could be doing events. So that's what I like to look at as well. It's not just let's look at the the numbers and everything like that, but let's also look at how they market themselves. Um, I advise going to their current company's website as well and see how the company markets them. Are they easy to find on the website? Uh, if I call the company, do they can, do they transfer me over automatically? Is there a receptionist that answers? So I know that might seem like a lot, but to me, taking 15 to 20 minutes to really find out about that agent is going to save you double that, if not more, in the actual appointment because you'll walk in having some information. And you don't want to make assumptions. It's just the information. So we take that information. We say, okay, here's what we've seen. Now let's have that conversation. You asked about the approach. So the way that we advise is, number one, building rapport is often um, overhyped. There's too much time spent on that. Two to three minutes uh, based on what you've done in your research. Maybe you saw something family-wise or vacation or something you bring up. But as we know, real estate people are salespeople and they tend to be talkative. And if you give them a long leash and talking about personal things, pretty soon you're 20 minutes into the appointment and you've covered nothing from an actual recruiting perspective. So we suggest about two to three minutes on that. And then the bulk of the appointment is going to be on needs analysis. So asking questions, what are your... What do you want to do with your business? What do you like about the industry? What don't you like about the industry? Would you rather work with buyers or sellers or a mix? What kind of sellers? So you're really looking for that information. And then once you have it, and again, this is where I'm going to point out another huge mistake I see brokers make, is that once they've asked the questions, then they go into presentation mode and they want to cover everything their company offers from the important stuff down to the copies are free, down to your checks are cut in 24 hours. And those things may or may not be important to an agent, but you're gonna, they're going to glaze over. If you spend 15, 20 minutes talking about everything your company does, and God forbid, if you have an entire PowerPoint presentation you're trying to get through, please no. <laughs> please no. What you want to do is take the two or three biggest things the agent mentioned. So let's just, as an example, say that you've got somebody across from you and their biggest thing is they want to switch from being predominantly buyers to working more listings and they want to get into a higher price point. What you're going to talk about and the only thing you're going to talk about initially is how you can help them do that. Once you've shown them those two or three ways, training, leads, coaching, doesn't matter, but you're going to explain to them those two or three primary points where you say, here's what we can do for you. 
then you're going to stop talking and you're going to turn it over to them and let them start asking questions. And if they ask about the copier, if they ask about how quickly the commission checks turn around, that's great because they're telling you what's important to them rather than you trying to present everything and hoping something lands. So what you do is you let them ask those questions. Once they're done with questions, then it's closing. And closing takes as long as it is going to take. It's a myth that if you get objections, it's a good thing. It is not. If you're getting objections, it means you missed something earlier in the conversation, particularly commission objections. So once you've got all those questions out on the table, then it, it is the closing. And by closing, I mean not, I know we've talked about a lot today, and I know you probably want to talk this over with your spouse or take a few days. That's not a close. A close is based on our conversation today, I believe you'd be a great fit for the company. Are you ready to join? Nine times out of 10, the answer is going to be no. They're not going to be ready to join right there, and that's okay. We've had instances where agents have come to us as we're interviewing and doing our research just in recruiting in general, and they'll say that they had a wonderful meeting with someone, and they were excited to join, and the person never asked them to join. And they felt like, oh, they don't want me. They must be blowing me off because they're telling me to go think about it, and I didn't need to think about it. I was ready to go. So you want to take your shot. You say, are you ready to join? Answer is probably going to be no. But then what you want to do, and this to me is the single biggest mistake, single biggest, is then letting that conversation drift without a solid follow-up. So if they say, I want to talk to my spouse, great. Is that something you'll be able to do this evening? Would you like us to set up an appointment on Monday? Get that solid follow-up. Another meeting is great. Um, and, and I, the way that I like to do it when I was doing it is if we were going to have a second meeting, I would do it over lunch, something like that. So a little more incentive for them to go, uh, you're spending some money, but this is a second appointment. So you've got somebody that's more serious. So that's what I would like to do is try to get in person whenever possible. But if not, at least a phone call at a certain time on a certain day that you're going to touch base with them because otherwise, and if you've been recruiting any time at all, you know how it goes. Everything is great at the end of the appointment and then things drift and it goes into a no man's land and into a limbo where you don't know if they're still considering it. You don't know if they've decided against it and months roll by without hearing anything from them. That's what you want to prevent. So that's how we recommend you do that approach. A little bit of rapport building, a whole lot of needs analysis. Talk about your two, three things at most that are really going to drive them and to say, okay, I'm interested. Turn it over to them for questions and then at the end, ask them to join. Awesome. Okay. So this next question is more around what are you looking for in the agents in terms of kind of ideal agent profile? And this is going to depend a little bit on the brokerage on, you know, kind of their location, their brand, their compensation plan. But in general, you know, knowing that this would be specific to, you know, kind of the brokerage, what are the type of things that they should be looking for in terms of an ideal agent to, you know, try to look for, find the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. What are the characteristics of who they should be looking for? Yeah. So to your point, it, it's difficult to um, talk about uh, culture fit, personality, motivation, all of that initially. That's something you're, you're going to learn about more in the meeting. So when you're building a list and specifically building your prospect list, it is going to come down to what your value proposition is. Uh, are you based primarily around support? Are you based around more uh, compensation? So there's going to be some variety in there. But the low-hanging fruit is in recruiting is people who've been in the business three years or less. And the reason for that is, as an agent, when you first get into the business, you don't know what you don't know. 
So generally, agents will choose a brokerage because it's close by, they have a friend there, they recognize the brand. But once they get into the business and once they start actually selling and learning about what they will need in their career from a support perspective or leads or coaching or whatever, then that can change from where they are currently. And so that's where we see the most movement is in agents who have been in the business three years or less. Uh, we also typically, for our clients, when they come into our program, we typically advise them to set a minimum production. can be a million, million and a half, two million. Uh, sometimes we will advise a maximum uh, production just depending on what their goals are. Uh, we get a lot of clients who don't want to go after the $15, $18 million producers, which is understandable. Uh, those can be difficult uh, to transition over. There's generally some incentives involved. So we're typically looking between about maybe two and eight million in terms of production. And then the other big key is geography. Uh, even though uh, after COVID, we've reached a world where a lot is done virtually, one of the things that surprised us is agents still want to have an office. Not all of them, certainly. Uh, and there are companies like eXp and others who are very successful with the virtual model. But for agents who do have a preference, even if they never go into the office, they generally want to have an office that's either in their market, quote unquote. And that can vary from city. We have plenty of cities where you drive over a bridge and it's a completely different market and people don't cross over. We have other markets where it's based on neighborhood, zip code, or it could be an entire city, just depending on where you're talking about. But we advise in the market or no more than about a 15 to 20 minute drive from your office, from where they are now, meaning their existing office to your office. We get a lot of people who come in and they look at where the agent sells or where the agent lives. We don't feel like that's the most relevant because if they have an office in a particular geography, their current office, clearly they don't have a problem with either driving that office or where the office is located. So that's a better gauge of where they are willing to go versus where they live or maybe even where they sell. So that's what we advise is no more than about a 15 to 20 minute drive uh, from your office. And those are the two major point, major criteria we coach our clients to do. Now, some of them will take out companies they've never had success with or um, that they feel like maybe th uh, the agents have not been trained well enough that they feel like they would come in and be a liability. So some of those things certainly as well. But we, we typically look at production and geography when we're building a, a cold prospect list, which is what we're talking about here, uh, where you're putting in you know several hundred people onto a list. Okay, so you get them on the appointment. That helps you kind of narrow down uh, you know, how to segment your list to go after kind of the, the folks most likely to be the ideal agents. You get them into the appointment, then what do you look for? Well, in there, that's that really is going to come down to the individual broker because it, a lot of the times what they're looking for there is a culture fit uh, and, and more so with teams than brokerages. And, and I, I'm speaking in generalities. There are obviously going to be exceptions, but we generally tend to find teams have a and require a tighter culture fit because there is more top down management in those. Um, and so they tend to have a bit more, um, my criteria, if you will, a bit tighter, a bit stricter on their culture fit than um, most of the brokerages that we see. But that that's generally what people are looking for, is they're trying to make the conversion and hire that agent, provided that agent uh, isn't negative, doesn't have a work ethic, um, or, or is not a good culture fit, or, or there's other red flags certainly that can come up. But that's usually what we see is once the appointment is on, the from the recruiter, from the broker side, it's about trying to, to get them on board while still watching for those red flags. 
Uh, and if you see the red flags, it is perfectly okay to end a recruiting appointment. There's no need to, if in the first five minutes, if you learn that somebody's really not going to work out, it is okay to say, and because it's respecting their time as well as your own, it's okay to say it, you know, it just doesn't sound, seem like it's a fit. Uh, and that is perfectly okay. But that's usually what they're looking for in those individual appointments is that, is this person somebody I want to work with? Is this somebody my, my existing agents want to work with? Right. And, you know, what do you see as the best ways to assess that? You know, is that behavioral questioning? How, how many brokers are you seeing using like personality assessments, like a disc profile or something like that? How are people, it's great to say you'll find people that align with your culture, but how do you, how, how do you, uh, and, and there's no exact science period, um, right. other than working with people, but what are the best ways to, to, to assess for that? You know, um, the DISC assessment, as well as others, were never intended to predict performance. They were to assess communication style. So I have somebody across from me. How do I communicate with them? They are not a reliable predictor of performance. So we, if you're going to do a DISC profile or something else, generally, that would be as part of the onboarding process. And so that you kind of understand, all right, we're hiring this person. And when you sit across from somebody, from somebody in a recruiting appointment, you should be able to tell within the first couple minutes what their personality trait is by the way they talk, by the cadence of it, by the things they say, uh, and the things that they talk about. So that can certainly help in the recruiting appointment because you are then more in tune with their communication. But so, yeah, we don't really, we don't too much recommend um, the, the personality assessments up front. And a lot of times you can find red flags when you're doing your pre-appointment research. And I don't ever recommend taking that and saying, okay, I'm going to cancel the appointment. You know, this is never going to work. It's just something where you you look at it and you say, okay, this is a question I need to ask. So if they have some negative customer reviews, that might be something to bring up and say, you know, we saw something on Zillow and we're just kind of curious um, what happened here. You know, can you tell us a little bit about these transactions? So if you do see that in pre-appointment research, then you want to address it. But I'm not aware of very many uh, brokers who have specific questions around it. It's more they're asking about what are your goals. And if the agent immediately goes to, well, my current company doesn't give me any business, they don't give me any leads, you know, and they start going down that negative path, then that's that's something where you might say, okay, you know, maybe maybe this person is not the right fit. But even then, you want to be cautious because if they're sitting across from you, it's likely that they have some things that are frustrating about their current company, and maybe they don't have somebody to share those frustrations with. So there's sharing frustrations, and then there's just negativity and complaining. And you know, it it, it takes some practice to to differentiate between the two. But there's not necessarily a specific question that's going to draw it out. It's just more of listening to them. Is this frustration? Is they're complaining about specific situations, or are they complaining about the real estate industry in general? You know, mm -hmm. real estate industry in general, that's probably something we look at and say, all right, maybe this isn't the right person. If they have very specific ones, you want to listen for what those are. But I, it, it is tricky because you do want some level of negativity, right? Because they're that means they're unhappy with their current company. And that's something that is good to know and is useful for you. Uh, but you do want to be careful not to also let that go into a, a point where you say, okay, you know, this person is is just not the right fit. If it is indeed something that you feel like is temporary and a change in brokerage would help versus they just have a negative attitude about the business. And then for most of our clients, that's not going to be the right fit for them. Sure, sure. And so um, what are some of, and, and again, this is probably going to be a little bit dependent on the brokerage and their model and their value proposition, but, you know, what are some of the common objections that you hear come up either in that initial call or in the recruiting appointment and, and how do you recommend handling? 
So I'm going to start with actually the, the, the objection that we struggle with the most, and that is actually the location objection, where an agent says they are too far from the office. And we've tried everything from uh, how often do you go in the office? So we're trying to quantify how big of an issue is this? And, they, and they'll even say, well, I, never, I hardly ever go in. I go in once a month. And it's still that location objection. So that's the one that, and listen, if anybody who is listening to this today has a great way to handle that objection, I will pay good money for it because for years, that is the one objection that has been the most difficult for us to overcome. Um, and then the object, the way that the other objections come up is going to depend on whether you're on a call or whether you're in person. So on a call, we're going to get asked a lot about commission. And for most of our clients, our primary client are not the the quote unquote discount 100% brokers. We work a lot with, and it's still it's still a struggle for me to say anywhere instead of Realogy. But most of our clients are anywhere franchisees. Your Coldwell Banker, C21, Better Homes and Gardens. We do a lot of work with Remax. Uh, we work with a lot of great independent companies. Uh, some of them in the leading RE network. So their primary value proposition is not going to be commission. So on the phone, what we're trying to do is, and this is what I recommend for people trying to generate an appointment as well, is stay somewhat vague on that. Uh, if you can mention things like we don't have any fees or we have a capping plan, if you want to even say our, our splits go up to 99% or 90%, uh, so we have some cold old banker clients who do that, and agents don't expect to hear that. They think it's going to be an automatic 70-30 or 80-20, or so we will sometimes bring up a specific and say, well, you can get up to X number. So you're trying to push that aside because you don't want to talk price until you've shown the value. Uh, and that's why in that um, recruiting appointment, you're going to go with those two, three points of value, and then they're going to ask about commission eventually. It's going to come up. And that's natural and that's expected. Uh, so you, at that point then, though, you've shown all the things you can do in the company. So then you can address commission specifically. So on the phone, the commission one is it's more of just trying to get around it. It's just trying to make it not an obstacle more so than it is handling it uh, directly right there. The other things we're here are going to be your typical objections. I'm happy. I love my broker. Uh, I'm going to die here, which we hear all the time. And those are all fine. And it's just a question of, is there any interest there or not? And if there's not, that's okay. We're going to call them again in the future. Even the people who've been with their brokerage for 20 years, because unfortunately, sometimes it's out of their hands. They don't have a choice to stay at a company because it closes its doors. It changes affiliations. You get new management or new ownership. Uh, so we always we're going to continue to call them um, and we will make additional attempts, like I had mentioned, with saying, you know, it's, there's no obligation to it. Why not hear what offer is on the table for you? So we're going to do some of those things on the phone to handle to try to get them into the actual appointment. In the appointment, like I mentioned, if you get a bunch of objections, it's because you didn't do your job earlier. Questions are great questions. Uh, those are about interest. Objections are not. So if you do get the objection. And, and I'm not going to go into specifics because there's a general way you can pretty much handle them all. And the first is to isolate it. So if somebody says, um, I don't like your commission plan, I, it, it, that, it splits too low. So then you would say, all right, totally understandable. So if I understand what you're saying, if we can get the commission split to where it's acceptable to you, you would join. If they say yes, great. Okay, now you've isolated it. You have one objection you have to manage. If they say, well, and they hung, uh -huh, that kind of thing. It's not just commission. There's something else back there. And that means you have to drop back into needs analysis. Now you're going back into asking questions. Okay, well, if I, I understand commission, we can address that. What else in your mind is, is standing in the way of you associating with us, with you joining us? So that's the general framework is you got to figure out what the real objection is. And most of the time, it's not going to be the first thing they say. 
commission's the easiest thing for an agent to object to because it's just natural, it's easy. And I've seen a lot of brokers and recruiters who've been in the business any amount of time and they're afraid of that objection. And the agent knows if they use it, it's going to be that much harder for the broker, the recruiter to try to, to quote unquote, convince them or persuade them or sell them, right? So it's not something to be afraid of. It's typically one agents throw out there because it's the easy one. uh, And they might have a whole lot of other questions and and concerns and things in their mind, but commission is just the first one that comes up and it's just the easiest one. So um, that's the the framework that we recommend is they'll make sure that, that when you get it, it's the only one and it's the real one. And if it is, address it. If it's not, then you've got to go deeper and deeper. And that's just going more into the conversation and going back into the needs analysis and then going back into closing again. Um, So those are, I I mean, you know, anybody who's been recruiting is going to hear the same set of objections. I always tell people, I mean, we wait, we make uh, hundreds of thousands of calls and we hear basically the same thing. I mean, it's the same handful of things. So once you understand what those are, once you figure out for you how you like to handle those, because everybody's different and the language they use is going to be different. The framework will remain the same, isolate and then address. But how you do it from your personality, the words you say, that's something where if you've got a, a coach or a trainer, start with what they suggest. And then if you try it and it works, stay with it. If it doesn't work, put your own spin on it. But that's how we recommend you do it is you'll figure out what the main ones are. You'll get a little practice under your belt and you'll just get better with with time. Um, and that's really all it is. Okay, great. So we talked about agents. Let's talk about recruiters for a little bit. Obviously, you're hiring and, and coaching uh, recruiters as well. Some of our listeners out there might be interested in buying back some of their time from some of these activities, have someone help with it, and maybe bring a little more leverage to their firm. So what's the ideal profile of a recruiter and how do you how do you source them? So number one, without question, biggest mistake I see is um, people look for somebody who has real estate experience first and sales experience second. And it should be the exact opposite because it is so much easier to teach someone about the real estate industry than it is to teach someone sales. That's why there are you know, all of these sales trainers out there that make hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars is because sales is just not that easy. And it does require training. It does require uh, experience. It does require failing and getting back up and doing it again. And so if you're considering hiring a recruiter, you want a salesperson first, ideally somebody that has outside sales experience. So when I was, I mentioned my first job was AccuView contact lenses. I was an inside salesperson. Now, fortunately, AccuView, which is a division of Johnson & Johnson, had an amazing training program that was applicable whether you were inside or outside because the track that I was on, the program I was on, they'd take people right out of college. You do inside sales for two years, then you'd be outside. So they trained you as though you were going to be their outside salesperson. And um, that means just not on the phone. You know, If they've sold copiers, they can do recruiting, right? Uh, If there's any number of things that people could have sold that it doesn't matter whether it was in real estate doesn't matter if you're selling a product or a service. If you have sales experience, then that's a huge leg up over most of the the people out there who are doing recruiting. Because most of the people who do recruiting now are real estate people. They either sold, they managed, and then they transitioned into recruiting. And that's a difficult transition to make uh, because they don't have a sales background. And sometimes I get in trouble because I have to tell people real estate sales is not sales in the sense that it's going to help you with recruiting. Because by and large, when people come to you as a realtor, they already have a need. They need to either buy or they need to sell. And it's just a question of who am I going to use? And and on the buy side, what property am I going to buy? 
And that's completely different than recruiting because in recruiting, you have to remember that every agent, unless they're brand new, they already have a solution. They already have a brokerage and they have the option of saying no to you and returning to their existing brokerage. In real estate sales, it's not that same way. If somebody's selling their house, they're going to interview two or three people and then they'll pick somebody. So you don't have to generate the need. You just have to be the right person for the job. In recruiting, you have to generate the need because you have to get them to mentally divorce their current company before you can ever persuade them to join your company. So you have to both create a need in most cases. Some cases you get lucky, somebody hates their current brokerage, and all you got to do is sell them on yours. But that's not the typical. The typical is you're going to have to create some level of need, then you're going to have to do the persuasion. And so the creation of need is something that most real estate salespeople have never done before, ever. So they don't really understand how that works. They really understand the part where it's, hey, choose me. But in recruiting, that doesn't work because just saying choose me is not necessarily enough for the agent to overcome the fear of changing, the cost of changing, both monetary and otherwise emotional and all of that. So there really is that that component of having sales experience first is number one. You can teach them real estate. If they have both, great. But the main thing that you're looking for is someone who is going to have that sales experience. You train them on real estate if need be. And then the other thing that you have to keep in mind is that person, if you get somebody who is talented at sales, they're going to earn high five figures, low six figures for pretty much any job they take. And that's the minimum if they're talented. So that's the other thing I see is people want to hire great talent, but they want to do it at bargain basement prices. And that is not going to work. So when you're going to bring on a recruiter, if you're going to compensate them based on the agents they hire, you're going to have to have a very strong recruiting goal. You're going to need to support them so that they can get to the number. If you have 10 agents now and you bring on a recruiter and you say, get us 10 more, you're never going to be able to compensate that person well enough for them to, to be able to make sense, financial sense. So that's the other piece is if you're looking for great sales talent, you're going to have to compensate them accordingly. There are no deals to be made in that because talented salespeople will always have a job. Always. They will always be able to find work. So that's the other side of the equation is make sure that from as you're running your numbers, that you can compensate that person as if they were, because they are, a talented salesperson that can get a job in any industry and do well. So that's the other side that I would say there is make sure you have that compensation plan in place and that it works for you and that it works for the other person. Great. Okay. So um, just kind of moving on to a more broader topic on kind of, you know, you, you've got a number of years in the industry um, and looking back at your former self, right? When you started, um, maybe as you transitioned into kind of real estate, um, what do you know now that you wish you knew then to speed up your transition to getting, you know, where you are at this point? So the people that are maybe a little earlier, you know, in, in that journey, what are some lessons that they can think about learning um, that you have um, and just accelerate kind of the, the ramping process? Knowing who you are and knowing where your strengths are is what I would say, number one. I've taken on projects in my career, and you can look at any stage that I should have never taken on. Um, I've chosen to work with people I should have never chosen to work with. And it was because I was not confident enough in myself or in what I offered to say no. And I will say that when I sold real estate, I did foreclosures. And one of the greatest things about working with foreclosures, and I, I worked with the banks. So I had the listings. 
and I had no shortage of buyers. I mean, almost every property I listed was multiple offer. And I know that nowadays that sounds normal because for the last couple of years, it, that was the reality. But we're talking 2006, 2007, those multiple offer situations for the price point that they were in, 50000 100000 were largely unheard of, especially with 20, 25 cash offers coming in with no contingencies, by the way. So what that taught me is the power of saying no. Because I had so such an abundance of buyers coming in that I could afford to just say no. And my asset managers at the banks I work with, that was one of the things that they appreciated was I would not waste their time. I would go to them as was my responsibility and say, here are the offers I got, but here's the deal. These are the three best and here's why. And you know, pick the one of those three that you want. But what it taught me was abundance. It taught me to have an abundance mindset. It taught me to understand who I was and what value I could provide. And for me, that was just being streamlined on it. I just had a system on it. That was my strength. Um, I mentioned I'm a high D personality. So foreclosures were great because it was boom, 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 knock out a project, move on to the next project. So I loved that. It's certainly not for everyone. But that's really what it taught me was that abundance mindset, number one. And then later in my career, it was about choosing who to work with and choosing what projects to take on and just understanding that no is perfectly fine and that not everything is going to be a fit. So I could share a hundred lessons, I'm sure, but that those are the two biggest ones that come to my mind are that having that abundance mindset. And as, as we reply to recruiting, there's always going to be another recruit. You missed out on that one. That's fine. There's always going to be another one. And if you're sitting across from somebody and they can be a $10 million producer, but if they've got an ego, if they're making demands that just don't work for you and what your model is, it's okay to just say no. Uh, and those, I would say that those are probably the two, the two biggest things that as I look back, I wish my 2005 self, actually, you know what, I'll even go back further than that. Before I even joined Johnson & Johnson, I probably should have known I was not a corporate guy anyway. Um, I'm not, there's a reason I'm an entrepreneur and I work for myself. I'm not good at working for others. So uh, I, sh I probably could have avoided that first step and just gone right into something else. Um, but yeah, as that I sounds back really familiar. That yeah. sounds really familiar for me and probably many of our listeners too that chose this industry. So, yep, I landed in it by accident. It's a happy accident, but um, that I kind of I didn't really. It was not an intentional path. Sure, sure. Okay, well, that covers up my questions for today, Drew. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I think that was some some great uh, tips that you have for our listeners and for all the listeners out there. Thanks for tuning in. I uh, hope you'll tune in to our next episode, um, and you can. Go, you know, please go to work uh, applying some of the things you've heard today um, to help you build up a strong talent funnel so that you can accelerate the growth in your brokerage. Thanks so much and have a great day. If you enjoyed our show, please add a rating for us on Apple or Spotify podcasts. And be sure to come back next time to hear more strategies that will help you grow your business. Until then, this is Jim Turner. And don't forget, you need to start putting some of these tips to work today. Thanks for listening to the Broker Growth Accelerator podcast by BrokerKit. This episode was produced by Jared White from InPhase Media and created and hosted by Jim Turner from BrokerKit.